Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Well, thank you for joining me again. This is episode number 20. We've made it to 20 episodes here on the North American Waterfowler podcast. Guys, tell your friends about this podcast. Let's spread the word. We are growing. I am happy with our growth, but I would love to reach more people as we talk about waterfowl hunting, the things that you are passionate about, what I'm passionate about. I've talked about it before, guys. At our core, at our essence, we are the North American Waterfowlers, and that is a very, very special thing to be a part of. We are a rare breed of guys that just can't get enough of the adventures and the quality of life that waterfowl hunting in North America brings. And if you're listening to this right now, April 2023, can't quite get farther away from the waterfowl season than this right now, then you've got it coursing through your veins like I do. And you are indeed one of us, a North American of waterfowler. And Take pride in that because it's a cool, cool thing. Uh, man, what a brotherhood that we've got here. So I've got a lot planned for this episode today. We've got a comment of the week. We've got another visit from Woody. And I'm pumped about this one, number three. Woody's going to stop by. Give us a little talk. And I've got a special guest, uh, the Patreon podcast winner, Mark Reneking, Reneking, I, I can't quite pronounce last name, but um, he is going to pop in here and we are going to find out where his hunting life is like. You know, when I do this Patreon uh, podcast giveaway, the thing that I really, really love about it, and it's something I've always wanted to figure out how to do, is our sport, waterfowl hunting. It is just so vastly different from different areas of the country. Arkansas is different than Kansas, North Dakota. Oregon, California, the East Coast, Virginia, everything's just so different. And so getting guys on here and just finding out what is your waterfowling life like? How is it different there from here? It's really, really cool. Really interesting. If you want a chance to be on this podcast with me every month, I do a giveaway where um, one person comes and joins me on the podcast. We're going to do it every single month. 
and you can become a part of that drawing. We do a live drawing on Patreon where you watch me spin the wheel. And if your name's picked, you come and join me. That's patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And we are gearing up for hunt giveaway number three, which man, these hunt giveaways have been so much fun. So every month that you're with me on Patreon, you get more um, chances, more entries to win that giveaway. And I will help pay you come here with me and we will hunt. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to look this year, but it's really, really cool. And there's just lots of other content. More North American Waterfowler podcasts are only on there. Hunts are only on there. I've got content on there clear back from Freelance Duck Hunting Season 2 that no one's ever seen other than people on Patreon. I mean, there's just tons of stuff on there. So go check it out um, and join us if you want to get more of this content. So before I get into the question of the week, I want to give you a little bit of an update. Because the last time I talked, um, I was going to enter Georgie in her first HRC finish test. And we did that. We went down to Oklahoma. My dad, Old Fumbles, and I went down to Oklahoma. And we entered Georgie in the finish hunt test there at HRC. And I went through, if you're not quite sure exactly what all the details are of a finish hunt test, I went through that. I went through all those details on a previous Hunt, hunt test or a previous episode. So real quickly, um, in the HRC, you've got started, seasoned, finished. If you pass finished, then you are HRCH, which is a hunting retriever champion. And then that qualifies you to go run in the grand. And the grand is like the world series of hunt tests, especially with the HRC. And so we are working towards getting our finished title. So Georgie would be a hunting retriever champion right now. She's just hunting retriever, Georgie. She has her, or her seasoned title, which is uh, HR, Hunting Retriever. And so I was, I could say I was pretty nervous. Moving up from season to finished is a big deal. And now you're running with the big boys. You're running with the grand dogs, the dogs that have entered and passed grant, have titles. The best, You know, you're in with the big boys. And so you've got three marks they've got three wingers set up one two three and then you have a blind and then after you're done you've got to sit there and you've got to do an honor test where another dog retrieves and your dog has to sit without breaking and so i was really really nervous i wasn't sure how georgie would do on this i felt like she had a better than 50 percent chance of passing but i'd never done it so you know i don't know these are um bigger deal than season we had we had trained for it we had practiced it um, but I just didn't know how, how she would do. So Fumbles and I drove down there Saturday and we watched some of the, because it's normally a Saturday event and a Sunday event. We can only do the Sunday. So we watched a, um, a land and a water of the finished on Saturday. Um, the reason I didn't go is because they had filled up all their slots and I just couldn't get in. But I went and watched and I felt pretty good at the end of watching that. I thought, man, I I really have a pretty good feeling Georgie can pass this. So we started with the land and three marks, the blind, and and Georgie just absolutely nailed the marks. No problem at all. She was steady. She walked at heel up to the line. Everything was totally cool. And then it came to the blind. And she did okay on the blind. Uh, when I set when I um lined her up and sent her, she was a little bit off to the left. So her initial line was off. So I had to stop her within the first 15 yards. And then from there, I had to get her back on the line. And I felt pretty good about it when we were done. It wasn't great, but I felt pretty good about it. I mean, I got her back there. She got it, no problem. 
So the only issue I really saw was that her initial line was a little off. But after that, I felt like I got her back on the line. She was good to go. I was really, really happy with it. And the judges gave me the thumbs up, which means, hey, you're good. You can um, come and see us in the afternoon and do the water. So I knew that she had passed. So I felt really good about that. Afternoon came around and the water, these marks were pretty short, but they were tight together. Um, and everything about it was actually distance wise, pretty short. Um, so I felt pretty dang confident about her being able to pass this afternoon water test. Again, the three marks, um, she crushed those. Oh, let me take a step back. As I was walking Georgie to the line at heel, the judge said, I need, we need to see a good blind on this one. And what that meant to me was they didn't like her blind in the morning. And so I, I better come up with a good blind here or they're probably going to fail her. That's what, that's what I heard from them saying that. I think I was right. So she crushed the three marks and I was, I was nervous about one of the marks because every dog was overrunning it. They, I think they wanted this mark to land kind of in the water and give a little bit of a splash, but the wind was blowing so hard that it wasn't giving any splash at all. And all the dogs prior to Georgie were just running like straight over it. And a lot of people were having to blow the whistle and handle because on the whole day on a mark, you can use your whistle to handle your dog one time out of the total six marks. And so I've never actually had, had to handle on a mark with Georgie. But I was thinking in my mind, this is one I may have to handle her on. Just from seeing what every other dog is doing, this is one I may have to, I may have to do that. But she just absolutely crushed it. All three marks, she just crushed it. I was feeling so good about it. And so came down to the blind. I knew all I had to do was do a good job on this blind and she was going to pass. And... I made a really bad mistake right here. The way that the land was set up on this blind, she was going to have to run. There was like a little peninsula and she was going to have to run through this peninsula into the water and knowing Georgie and the wind being what it was, my fear was that she was going to want to hug that shoreline too much. And so I was really nervous about that about that initial line from me to the water, getting her into the water. And so I lined her up and here's the mistake I made. I decided that I was going to line her up a little bit to the right of straight lining. This was so stupid on my part. I just didn't know yet. I'm just a novice in this. I, I just didn't understand. My idea was I want to keep her off of that left bank. So I'm going to start her off to the right a little bit. And, and a lot of times in her line, she kind of loops around a little bit naturally. So I thought I'll just you know, a little bit to the right of a really the appropriate initial line, keeping her more towards the water. And she took the line really, really well. But the problem was, is the line was actually offline of where it's supposed to be. And second mistake I made is I let her go on that line. Cause really what I wanted is I wanted her to get past the peninsula and into the water because I thought once she got into the water, that she was going to be good. It was going to be no problem. I was just most worried about this first 20 yards. I let her get into the water. Then I hit the whistle. She turned around, stopped, looked at me, and I attempted to give her a left back angled cast. And instead of going left back angled, she went straight back. Now, this whole thing right now, she's out of the line. 
So everything that's happening right now, the judges aren't liking because she's out of the straight line to the line. Stopped her. Gave her a back left angle. This time she took it really well. Went right back where she was supposed to. She got in perfect line of the blind. I hit the whistle again. And she's still probably a good 40 yards from the pickup. Stopped her. Gave her a straight back. And she took this. Thank God she took this cast perfectly. These last two casts. The back left angle. And the straight back. She took those casts perfectly. Straight to it. Picked it up. And I was still feel I was feeling really, really good. The whole, the whole thing is I didn't being my first finished. They judged these blinds and the line to the blinds way more strictly than what I had realized. And so I was feeling really good about it. I'm like, she's got it. She nailed that. We're good. We got our pass. She came back. I turned around, looked at the judges, and they're talking, they're conferencing, they're like like she's on the fence. They did not all, they did not like her morning mark or her morning blind. They did not I said they did not love her morning blind. They did not love her afternoon blind. And honestly, that afternoon blind was just my fault. She took so she had one what's called cast refusal in the morning because I her initial line was wrong. She had one cast refusal in the afternoon because I told her back left angle and she went straight back. And the other two on that blind were my fault. I set her in the wrong way, wrong direction, and I let her go too far. So they talked, they conferred, and they decided to let me squeak by. So they passed her. They gave me the thumbs up. But it was really cool because they brought me over. They coached me. They showed me their charts. They talked to me exactly about what's going on, what they wanted. And so they were really awesome. In fact, these judges were so cool the whole time. They knew it was my first finished test because they had asked and I had, and I had told them that it was my first finished. And so in the morning, um, I gave George on the morning blind, Georgie's about halfway there. I gave her a back cast and she took it really, really well. And she was driving back. And I heard one of the judges being like, come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. So they were really cheering for me. And I, it was really cool. It was really, really cool. And so she did pass. So she got her first finished pass, which gives her 15 points of the, so she's got 55 total. So she needs three more days of finished pass to have her title. So we are 25% of the way there for Georgie to have her HRCH, Hunting Retriever Champion title. And when she gets out, I'll tell you, I am going to be just so thrilled. Just so thrilled. I didn't know when I started this journey if I was, I've just never done it. So I just didn't know if I had what it took to get her to the point where she was passing these finished tests. But I'll say we have now been in one started event. We have been in um, one day of started. We've been in four days of seasoned and one day of finished. And she's five for five. She is yet to fail anything. She is just an incredible little dog. Man, this dog is an incredible little dog. And I just keep telling my dad, I feel like, and I think as I have more dogs in the future, I will realize how incredible this little dog is. Her teachability is unbelievable. I keep feeling like with a lot of other dogs doing exactly what I've done with Georgie, they wouldn't be the point where Georgie is. I haven't been as consistent as I wanted to as far as the number of days that I train. I just don't feel like 
I've done a good enough job to get her to where she is. I just don't. Maybe I'm sliding myself. I don't know. But I just feel like that she learns so quickly. These Flatlander kennel dogs, man. Unbelievable dogs. And speaking of Flatlander Kennels, I am co-host of a new podcast, the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. Come check that out. We just did an hour and 25 minutes with Chris Jobman and Chris Aiken. I'm just going to say it. The two best, the two most accomplished, I'll say this, the two most accomplished waterfowl dog trainers in North America, if not the world, are those two guys. They just got on together and did an hour and 25 minutes, and it is a great podcast. So check that out, the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. But yeah, that went really, really well. So May 13th, I've got a weekend in Nebraska, Saturday, Sunday. Hopefully she'll pick those twos up. We're working really hard on lining right now. Lining and back-angled cast is what we're working on really hard right now. Um, she just doesn't falter with Mark so far. So, so we're working really hard on that. And then the following weekend on Sunday, so by the end of May, if Georgie can run the table on this, she'll have her hunting retriever champion title at the end of May, if she runs the tables. Now, I kind of have the feeling that she's not going to run the table. I kind of have the feeling, I just keep saying she's got to slip up somewhere, or maybe me is going to slip up somewhere. I don't know. But we'll see. We'll see how she does. This, this hunt test stuff is way more fun than I ever expected it to be. I got to say, it's way more fun. I got into it because I wanted to prove to myself and I wanted to prove to Chris Jobman that I could do it. And I, I didn't know how much I was going to enjoy it. And it is really, really enjoyable. It really is. So I will keep you guys posted on that as we go along the way. And... uh as we move towards our HRCH title. And after that, we're going to hop over to AKC and go for a master title. So I, I just want to keep adding those titles, to this little dog's name, because she's worthy of them. So now we are going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with question of the week. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. 
Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, this week's comment of the week comes from Nathan Tribble. It's time for comment of the week. Um, commenting on one of my videos on freelance duck hunting on YouTube. He says, good to see you guys picking up shells after they have been shot. One day, my dad and I arrived at a spot mid-season, and the guys before us just left all their shells, and we picked them up. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I will say in my state of Kansas, shells and trash in the marsh is such a big problem that if you go on to the, to the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks website, and you go into the report section from each place, most of them have listed in there, pick up after yourself. Leaving trash in the marsh is a massive, massive problem. Shells are trash, guys. Shells are trash. There's no reason for you to leave your shells in the marsh. Every single time when you're done for at the hunt, you need to pick those up. Number one, when I scout, I look for spent shells because you can find a place that looks like a good waterfowl spot, but until you know birds are using it, you don't know. And when you see shells all up and down an area, you are tipping off people that scout that, hey, every shell I see is a shot someone's taken at a duck. Pick up your shells, guys. Please, please pick up your shells. And Shells is um, is a little more excusable than just straight trash. But guys eat their snacks. They just throw the trash everywhere. Come on, guys. We are better than this as a community. We are better than this as a community. Let's pick up after ourselves. Or like this guy did. If you see shells, pick them up. I remember one time I was hunting with uh, Golden Boy. And we saw this massive pile of shells sitting there. And Aiden being the Golden Boy that he is, he's like, man, I'm going to go pick those up. He walked over there. And found this sweet goose call that those guys had lost right in there with it. So it's like God was giving him a little gift. God was giving him a little gift. Here you go, golden boy. You did this great job. Here's an awesome goose call. So please, guys. Um, if you're with people, you see them laying down trash, just point it out. Say, hey, man, pick up, pick up your wrapper. Let's not leave trash out here. Hey, guys, let's get our shells. We've got to do better, guys. We've got to do better. All right, so that was the comment of the week. Let's move on to the next segment where we're going to bring Woody on here and have another little time with my good old buddy, Woody. So what do you got for us tonight, buddy? All right, well, I know this has kind of been a, a touchy subject on a lot of the different duck hunting sites, and, and uh, especially with you. And uh, I've kind of been approached by some of my my fellow Southerners down here on the other side of the kind of the Mason-Dixon line, and, uh, well, they've asked me if I could put together this list to kind of air out some things that they're, they're feeling about, well, about some of the, the hunters that kind of tend to be further north. Mm -hmm. So we got a, a, a top five list here of things that southern hunters kind of can't stand. Some of, it's, some of it's a little focused on, well, I'll, I'll just go through it. You'll understand. Well, I hope my name's not on. No, I don't. I, I, I ain't put no names. I ain't put no names specifically on this one. Uh, right. Number five. Number five of the top five things that Southern hunters just can't stand. That's a spoonbill shoveler. Elliot, I see all these fellers on these hunting shows shooting spoonbills, calling them spoonies, bro. 
all that kind of... <laughs> Lord have mercy. I wouldn't shoot a spoonbill shoveler if if I'd hunted three days in a row and hadn't killed nothing. I wouldn't shoot... Uh. Lem called me up a few years back, and he said, Hey, Robert, why don't you come over to the house? I, I killed a whole mess of greenhead mallards, and I'm going to cook them up for you. I said, Lem? Son, it's the middle of March. You can't shoot greenhead mallards this time of year. He said, oh, well, I guess I just got excited when I seen them all, Robert, and I had to go out and shoot a few. Oh, I'm sorry. That should be Woody there. I, I, darn it. So he he said, I, 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 went, I went ahead and shot a mess of them. And, well, would you come over and eat them with me? I said, Lim, son, it's the middle of March. Where'd you find greenhead mallards this time of year anyhow? He said, out there on a city lake. I said, city lake? Where are you talking about? There ain't no city lake. He said, why, sure there is out there where I go fishing all the time. I said, Lim, I don't know what you're talking about, son. Are you having a stroke? He said, Robert, darn it, you know what I'm talking about. The lake out there with the fence and the little white building around. I said, Lim Parsons, that ain't the city lake. That's the city sewer plant. Throw them ducks away. He said, you don't think I ought to eat them? I said, no, you don't need to eat them. I said, you need to dispose of the evidence before you get arrested. And you need to get rid of them before you catch some sort of disease. Five big old spoonbill shovelers. <laughs> Anyhow. He was hunting the, he was hunting the oh, yeah. sewage. Yeah, man, huh? yeah. he shot five big... Oh. Greenhead mallards. He said, well, they lips look kind of funny, but I figured it's because they've been eating all them turds out there. <laughs> oh, Lord. Number four, sub-gauges. What in the world is everybody so excited about shooting darn sub-gauges? What is wrong with a good old 12-gauge Remington 870 or a Winchester 1300 or a Mossberg 835. How come everybody wants to have some sort of 20 or 28 or 13 or 62 gauge or whatever? How come everybody wants to shoot all these little skinny shotguns? If you want to make it that hard, shoot them with a slingshot. Mercy <laughs> sakes. Right. Number three. Say something we don't like. This is just, I don't know if it's pride or what it is, but us southern boys, we didn't. And maybe because we're all a little on the hefty side. I don't know. But we do not like layout blinds. And for that matter, we don't even really like to hunt out of boats. If I can't stand in the water next to a big old tree and shoot greenhead mallards, it ain't hardly worth going to me. I know y'all out there, you like your little layout boats and you like to get in your little kayaks and paddle around in your tight pants and all. But <laughs> down here, we like to shoot them standing up and... Uh, I don't know. I just I, the idea of laying in a boat all day. Where I come from, so do, boats boats are for getting there, not sitting there. Do Southerners somehow have the impression that guys from the North wear tight pants? Well, I figure if you're going to be in a kayak, you're probably going to have spandex on. <laughs> right, right. <sighs> all right, number two. Now this one's getting a little more pointed. If you if you listen close here, we do not like educated birds every year us southern hunters head out to the duck blind and we see 
hundreds, if not thousands, of mallards that come flying over. They see one decoy flipped over the wrong way, and they're gone. They're gone. Now, I I don't want to blame it completely on those that hunt slightly to the north of us, but, you know, after 2,000 miles of decoys and spinners and duck calls and sky-busting, time they get to us, they're just a little gun-shy, I think. Makes it a little more difficult for, difficult for us to get a decent shot at one now and then. So we don't like wary birds. Number one. Whew. And number one, having a, speaking of, I guess, of the, the wary, educated birds, and the number one thing that us southern hunters just, well, we can't hardly stand it. I think it's pretty obvious. We don't like northern hunters. Mm. Y'all folks up there, I'm telling you. And I'm, I know Kansas ain't real far north. I'm kind of more talking about them Canadian fellers and them Dakota guys up there. I don't know. Probably even Nebraska. They get a little bit on my nerves. I watch that Matt fella go out there and just shoot willy-nilly all he wants to. Kills a big old pile of ducks and acts like it ain't a big deal. He does that. It just kind of makes me sick. I'm not going to lie. It kind of makes me sick that y'all just go out there and flaunt it around and lay on the bank and shoot you a bunch of ducks and don't even really work for it. That's what really bothers me. Got them flooded cornfields everywhere and heated ponds. So we just, we kind of get a little tired of hearing and seeing all these northern duck hunters having all this success. But it's nothing personal now, Ellie. It ain't nothing personal against you. I don't I don't hold none of it against you personally. We just don't really like you. But that's my top five. Oh, wow. That's my top. Wow. No, I'm just kidding, Elliot. I'm just kidding with you now. <laughs> I it it ain't that we're mad at you, it's just that we kinda get fed up with having to clean up the sec the, the sloppy seconds down here in the south. <laughs> it's all right, we'll rise again one of these days. All right. Well, I appreciate you joining us again. Would you like to come on again some other time? Any time at all. And I promise it won't always be quite so controversial. All right. Well, (laughs) that's been Woody's Top 5. So now let's get on to the last segment that we've got here. Let's bring on the Patreon.com slash Freelance Duck Hunting. Monthly winner of the drawing. Let's bring on Mark. All right, I am here with today's guest, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's Mark Reineking. 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 Yes. Is, yes. Is there where is that last name originated? Where where it, is the ancestry go back to? It is German. <clears throat> it's a okay. German last name. Yep. Do you know anything about um, your ancestry? That's interesting. You know, I really, I really have never gotten into that. I've never done that. Um, we've talked about it. My wife and I have talked about it, but we just never have, never have done it. Yeah. Something maybe we'll do in the next couple of years. I know my mom um, had got into one point going through all our ancestry and everything, and it was it was pretty pretty interesting. So anyway, I Mark bet. is joining me. He is um, so a patron over on patreon.com slash freelance stuff hunting, and once a month I do a drawing and at random pick someone to come on the podcast with me because I find it really interesting because number one, we just get to talk about waterfowl hunting. But number two, just different parts of the country are just interesting 
to learn about. So I, I don't even know. I, maybe I should, but I don't know. Mark, where, where do you live? I, right now I live in northern Illinois. So I'm about an hour and a half northwest of downtown Chicago. So I'm out in the suburbs. But I'm about probably about 20 minutes from the Wisconsin border. I grew okay. up in Wisconsin. Um, I grew up in central Wisconsin. And that's central and northern Wisconsin is really where I got my my start as a young and, you know, hunting with my parents and uh, right. in my brother uh, way back in the early 80s. So when did you first start hunting? At what age and, and what species were you hunting? <laughs> well, you know, I, in Wisconsin for for many years, you could only actually hunt or obtain a hunting license when you were 12 years old. So up until then, you really couldn't do anything. So I kind of tagged along. I had my BB gun a lot of times. Um, I think my first bird was a little woodpecker that I shot out of the tree and I was, you know, <laughs> I shot him. I was super excited. Then I was mortified. Then I got super excited again. So uh, that's kind of where I started. And then um, early on, I was probably six, seven years old. And it was kind of a family affair. It was my dad, my brother, uh, my mom even, and then myself. Uh, we had a permanent duck blind in northern Wisconsin. And we would go up a couple times a year a year and stay with um, at, a, at a family friend's cabin. Um, and that was pretty cool because it was a pretty rustic, a rustic cabin, fuel oil stove, outhouse, the whole thing. But um, a couple times a year, we would go up and we would duck hunt up there. And um, so, and we would, everybody would go along. You know, my dad had a duck boat. We had labs. Um, and it was great because we, we were all in the blind with my mom, my dad, my brother. Of course, I had my BB gun most of the time. Um, so I would shoot at birds or whatever flew by. But, you know, primarily we would shoot mallards and divers and, you know, mergansers and stuff like that. Um, so that's really where I got my start in waterfowl hunting. It's really kind of a family heritage as it is with so many other people. Um, and that's what really attracted me to freelance duck hunting too, is, you know, I started watching in 2018, I think it was. And, um, you know, you and your dad being out there, it was awesome. It was really cool. It just reminded me of, of my upbringing and, and how that has progressed throughout the years. My dad has now passed. Um, so it's fun. It's so fun to watch, to watch you and your dad out there um getting it done all the time so that's really cool man i appreciate you um saying that i mean my dad was everything for me in my hunting life and and mm -hmm. i mean in every in my sports life in my hunting life i mean my dad was was everything. sure i sure i um he was my basketball coach growing up up until eighth grade when i got into middle school basketball he was my baseball coach Mm -hmm. clear up through and i was i was never overly athletic but he fine-tuned my skills and everything yeah. taught me how to throw a curveball i mean i ended up playing college baseball because of him at the same time he's taking me turkey hunting he's taking me mm -hmm. pheasant hunting it's like just fine-tuning all of everything so it sounds like you had somewhat of a similar yeah for sure i mean experience. very fortunate to have that and and to be part of that you know for anybody out there that's you know had that same experience it's 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 something that you'll never forget in your entire life. And it, and it helps shape you, you know, it, it helps shape right. you. And, and I think that, you know, waterfowling these days, you know, it's great to see younger people getting into it. Um, but, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of younger waterfowlers now don't have a mentor right. and, you know, watching what you put out there and watching your videos, um, you know, you're always doing the right thing. You're always steering people in the right direction. You're doing it ethically. You're admitting mistakes when they happen. And that's fantastic. And that's really what attracted me to the whole freelance duck hunting page um, or YouTube channel. So, you know, that's fantastic. I think, I think the younger generations too, I think a, a lot of younger people got caught up with the duck dynasty bug. 
right. and they wanted to get into it and it was cool and Duck Dynasty this, Duck Dynasty that, but but they, you know, nothing against that whole thing, but they didn't have the mentorship a lot right. of times. And I think that's why you see, you know, some fairly, you know, unethical or, or unwise things out there in the in the duck hunting world these days, more so than maybe you did before. You know, from a competition right. standpoint, whether it be sky busting, whether it be, um, you know, just the ethical part of it, you know, not getting along with other people, not inviting them to hunt, you know, and God forbid somebody water swapped. <laughs> right. I still that's have really, yet to get that email with someone willing to come on and talk know, to me about that's, it. That's really why I came on the podcast today, Elliot. You know that. I wanted to argue. Oh, you're that guy. Oh, no. we're going to have the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... No, I don't have any issues with it at all. I mean, I think it's all situational, to be honest. Right. I mean, right. If, if you're having a slow day and you have one pop in on you, you're going to crank them. You know? Yeah. If if, you, if they're coming in and, and, and you're having a great day, maybe you don't water swap them because you know right. the next thing's going to be right in your face, backpedaling over the decoys, you know? So, yeah. anyway, I don't have any issues with it. Um, but I, I certainly know that others do, and that's fine, too. Everybody's got their right. opinion. And, yeah. and you know what? It's completely legal. So... I did not okay know it was it. legal, which I mentioned this on the podcast. I had no idea it was legal to do. I We had yeah. always thought it was illegal. And it was sure. because I was teasing my dad so much. I think that it was probably a comment because it was actually video number five on the channel where I'm mm -hmm. teasing my dad so hard about water swatting because he loves killing ducks. He waits until their tiptoes are touching the water and then he hits them <laughs> right at that point. Right. And so I was just teasing him like crazy. Like, that's water swatting. That's water swatting. Right. And I think it was a comment on that video. Someone was like, well, it's not illegal. I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> but back, back to your upbringing. So yeah. um, you were 12 or up to the age 12, you're taking a BB gun and you yep. were hunting northwest of Chicago, right? Yes. Well, northern, northern Wisconsin. Northern it's, Wisconsin. And yes. northern Wisconsin. I don't know that topography up there. Where is the Mississippi? Is that the Mississippi area? Nope. River nope. Area? The, Missi the Mississippi is going to be about 200 miles to the west of there. Okay. Um, so we're, we're basically, it's the North Woods. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, Northern forest up there. We shoot a lot of wood ducks. Uh, we shoot a lot of resident mallards. We don't get a huge migration that you can see typically. Um, you know, every once in a while you catch it right and you'll, and you'll get into them, but they're, they're here and they're gone. You know, it's, right. it's, uh, it's one of those things. And, you know, the weather in the last few years has been different in the sense that, you know, we really haven't seen a big migration in mm -hmm. northern Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, northern Illinois, where I live now, I mean, it, it, this last winter was fantastic for, for Canada geese uh, right. because it, it ended up being so mild and we didn't really have any snow and those geese just hung there. They just stayed there and we, we shot a lot of geese. So that was pretty fun. Um, right. So yeah, so you when, know, when did up, you when did you make that move? Well, I've been all over the country with my job. So I I grew up in Central Wisconsin, um, and then I moved to Colorado, lived there a couple years, um, and I I duck hunted out there to the extent you could. There's not a whole lot of water out there, um, but a couple of big reservoirs we would hunt, and we'd have some decent success here and there. Eastern um, Colorado or Western? Yeah, it was it was Eastern Colorado. So it was a, near okay. Sterling, Colorado. We used to hunt the Pruitt Reservoir. Okay. out there and uh, many years it was bone dry except for the far end of it that it was the refuge and it just held thousands of geese so you know if we wanted to hunt a lot of times we were setting up on a beach-like atmosphere it was just flat sand and 
you know, we oh, were wow. trying to either pass shoot them and, or God forbid, decoy something. So um, that proved to be pretty challenging because we didn't have any private land, obviously, to hunt on. So it was just all public stuff. Um, but I was there for two, two years in Colorado, so I got some experience there. Um, and then I lived in Birmingham, Alabama for two years. I didn't do any hunting down there. Um, other than a, I won a ducks unlimited guided hunt in Arkansas one January. And that was pretty fun. Um, yeah, then I moved to Minneapolis. I lived in Minneapolis, Minneapolis area for 11 years and, um, and hunted there. But, um, one of the things that I've been doing, we've been doing now for this year will be our 25th year is, you know, a, a family ordeal and friends. We make a, an annual pilgrimage out to North Dakota, um, mm. to hunt for a week. Um, mm-hmm. so we, we load up the trucks and the trailers and we head out and that's always a, a good old time out there for sure. Right. Right. What time of year so, do you normally go to North Dakota? We go out there the very opening weekend. Um, okay. so it's, it's the, basically the first full weekend in October. And so, so it, it's all locals, it's all local ducks and, uh, it ends up being pretty good. I mean, you still have to scout, you still have to hunt, you know, there's this, there's this, image in people's minds that, oh, you just go to North Dakota and you're just going to shoot everything. Well, yes, you can do that, but you still have to scout. And especially if you're looking right. for certain ducks. I mean, if you want to shoot mallards, it's going to be harder to figure it out. If you want to shoot gadwalls, you know, or teal or, you know, anything else that flies by, it's it's fairly easy to do that. So, right. Are the mallards typically kind of eclipse phase where, or yeah, they look it's, like mallards? Yep. A lot of times it's hard. It's hard to tell drakes from hens at that time of year, yep. for sure. For sure. Most and you of don't you don't right. have a hen limit at that time of the year, right? You can just shoot. Uh, no, there shoot is there there is. I think I I think there's. Well, it's a central flyway. So what is so that? where is it? Was it in the call? Is it in Canada where they're so brown that you can shoot whatever on it? Uh that that I don't know. I've never been up there. I've never hunted up there. Yeah, I'm not sure. But no, it's the same central flyway rules in North Dakota as it is in Kansas. Well, that would be rough. for bag limit stuff. So it is it is hard, and you really do, you do have to pay attention. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Is that mostly field hunting, or do you guys water or combination? Well, our group we go with about seven guys on average every year, and um, you know our camp is kind of split. You know, some guys we, we do both. We'll field, we'll field hunt, we'll water hunt. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I prefer to to hunt in fields, um, but I'll go in water too. It it doesn't really matter. But yeah, we do a combination. So wh- of both. Why why do you prefer the out of curiosity? Because I'm completely flipped. I much prefer the water. What about well, do you prefer? I just, you know, over so many years of doing this, I just, I'm so tired of tromping through the muck all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right. anyway, so I've kind of gravitated toward that. And I've always been fascinated by that. You know, many, many years ago, we, we tried to field hunt for the first time and we put field, we put floater mallards out in a field and we put a couple of goose shells out and the ducks were there. We were in North Dakota and we'd never shot a duck in a field. And I just thought, you know, that first hen came in, it was about, two in the afternoon and it was just it was amazing to me that we could just decoy this duck in and we just shot him at 20 yards it was it was awesome and i just got hooked on that on that whole thing after hunting water my entire life and you know when you go out to north dakota you know we don't take boats or anything like that so it's all hiking you know some potholes are nice and hard you know and you know some are super mucky so it's not bad you know the the I would say northern Wisconsin probably has more muck holes and beaver beaver ponds um, mm. where it's super mucky um, than North Dakota. North the North Dakota potholes aren't too bad unless you get into a big cattail slough, but then it and then it gets pretty gummy. But yeah. other than that, 
And that's we just do rolling both. hills, plains, not many trees? Yeah, exactly. Most of it's right. flat. It's really not rolling hills. In North Dakota, mm. I'm talking about. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's wide open out there for the most part. Just tree lines and just okay. huge fields. And, you know, it's the prairie pothole region, so there's tons of water there as well, too. So Yeah. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I would love to go up there. I've never been. The farthest yeah. north I've been is the Nebraska-South Dakota border yeah. around Lewis and Clark Lake, which sure. is a really cool area. But I've never been to North Dakota. And I know Jordan, Duck on Chronicles guy, he's just always wanting to go. And he and Josh ended up going this past year, and they had a pretty mm-hmm. decent trip. But he had had a bunch of friends, and and he had made it out to be like just easy limits all the time. I'm like, yeah. is, uh, is it really? I mean, do you normally shoot limits on all of your hunts or do you no. go through some periods where you're getting skunked or? Absolutely. Or... You know, I, I've been skunked out there before. Um, you know, last year we, we struggled a little bit. If, if you go out there that early and you want a field hunt, um, it's more difficult because all the corn is still standing. A lot of the beans are still standing. Um, you know, the, the wheat fields and the barley fields have been harvested, but they harvest those in July. So they're all burnt out. A lot of them are mm-hmm. eaten out. You know, the ducks and geese have already been in them. So it can be, it can be challenging very early in the season. Um, but where we found success last year was just getting on big water, you know, and, yeah. and it was, you know, in, in big water on a windy day. And you set up, you set up on a point. And you just and the, the ducks will just funnel around and, and they'll just yeah. work you right in. So I mean, yeah, did we shoot limits? Yes, absolutely. But it, you know, it was limits of of teal and gadwalls and redheads sprinkled in with some mallards. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you you can go out there and get them. You're not going to shoot a limit every time. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big misconception. Um, but I will say, you know, it, in the last couple of years, we have struggled a little bit more. Um, mm. You know, I think. I think that uh, we've had some really late winter storms that yeah. have really screwed up a little bit of the uh, of the of the hatch. Um, so it's been it's been difficult. But the other thing too about North Dakota is we've been going out there since 1998. Wow! And back then, you know, we could get up an hour before shooting time and drive to our spot. You know, you scout the day before, drive to the spot. You have no problems. But nowadays, I mean, sometimes we're sleeping in the truck at our spot because there's so many, so much more pressure out there and there's so many more hunters out there. Really? Yeah. In the area that we go to. Yes, for sure. For sure. It's a head scratcher to me a little bit because you hear people saying, well, there was way more duck hunters in the Mm seventies than we have today. Yeah. But it feels like over and over again, 
people talk about places seeming more crowded. Yeah. And I can't quite put the two and two together in my mind to is there just less public access? Is it that people hunt more days a year? It's like, how could there have been so many more hunters, duck hunters in the 70s, but things feel crowded, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. And I don't have an answer for that. But you're, that's a really good point. Really good point. Because there's, you know, because because the duck hunting numbers, the duck hunter numbers are dwindling. Mm -hmm. um, but in places, you know, well, and maybe because it's a destination location, you right. know, North Dakota, maybe people just flock there. You know, there's probably some weekend warriors that, that come out. Um, you know, we all know that, uh, you know, a lot of the duck hunters in America, they may hunt one or two weekends and that's it, or one or two right. days of the season and that's it. You know, they just like to get out there and do it. Um, so North Dakota is a little bit different animal, I would say. Um, but, you know, even, even in northern Wisconsin, where I still hunt, I go up with my buddy and my daughter um, every year for the, for the Wisconsin opener. We're still, we're still having, you know, pressure there as well. So, you know, you make a great point, and I don't know the answer to it, but yeah. uh, you just got to just – oh, go ahead. Have you um, – well, I don't want to ask this question. I want to ask the other question for that I've been thinking about. When you guys field hunt, are you doing layouts, A-frames? What, what, what how are you trying to get hit? For years and years and years, we, we hunted in, in layout blinds. Um, we all still have them. We, all, we, we have so much stuff that, you know, it, you accumulate everything over the years. And, right. you know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, you have to have everything in your toolbox, right? Right. So we bring it all with us. Everything that we own is going in those trailers. And, um, you know, in the last four years, you know, I, I purchased a panel blind. And I think it's just what it comes down to is all about being hidden. I've hunted a pan blind in the middle of a field before. No issues whatsoever. Those ducks and those geese, they still work in. Now, later in the year when they get a little bit smarter, you're probably going to want to tuck up against the tree edge. Is that or that's a, fence a front row. side only? Front side only pan oh, blind? Oh, both sides. Okay. Both sides with a flip top so over the back. Oh, okay. okay. Yep. So, so you're functioning complete. more like an A-frame. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So – you know, it's been very successful and it's been nice because you can sit on a stool, you know, you can sit on your stool, you can put, you know, your dog in the blind with you. Um, but, you know, it's an, it's something new and it's it, in the past five, six, seven years, it's something that more and more people are, are using. And, um, you know, we used to sit in our layout blinds and wonder why they wonder why they weren't working us. And I think those ducks and geese, you know, like anything else, they start getting used to seeing that kind of stuff no matter how hidden you are. Um, obviously concealment is key for, with anything. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens as, as the stand-up, you know, panel blinds continue to, to increase in popularity. We'll see if, you know, if there's any problems with them. But obviously the best thing to do is to get in that tree, that fence row or that tree edge. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's just lights out then when you do that. I mean, it's, it's just got to be hidden. what a couple of trees will do. It's just absolutely, absolutely amazing how hard that's right. it is. Out here, mm -hmm. um, the central part of the state are open prairie marshes, and it's mm -hmm. really hard to hunt. So I love, I, I personally, above everything, love layout. One or two guys layout hunting. I mean, mm -hmm. you just disappear. But if we go to three or four guys, I, then I like the A-frame better. I've been amazed sure. at how productive those A-frames are. When I first started mm -hmm. hearing about them, Jordan and I were on podcasts, had a lot of conversations, I mean, doubting their successfulness but they're really they're really successful it's it's surprising to me <laughs> yeah it is it do. really is i was surprised as well one thing that i found though is when you're in those those 
A-frame blinds or stand-up blinds, whatever you want to call them, that overhead cover is key. I mean, because so many of those ducks and geese, they're looking right down on you. And if the top is opened up, mm-hmm. they're going right. to they're gonna spot you. And you know what? It's funny because we always talk about this. It's like, you know, you can be hunting with two or three guys or four people or however many you want. And when somebody sees a duck coming or something surprises you and you say, there's one, don't move. What does everybody do? <laughs> they, they, all, they just do it. They just do it. So those 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 panel blinds are nice or the A-frame blinds are nice if you do have that over-the-top cover because they won't see you look like that. You know, instinctually, oh, you want to look. They won't see that happen. And, and so that helps for sure. I just had this idea, and I think this would probably make a lot of sense. If you're in an A-frame with four or five guys, I think that you should put one guy on the end as quality control. And that, and that <laughs> person's go. job is to watch go. what people are doing when ducks are yep. circling. And exactly. see, because, I mean, if you're frozen, your head's down, you've got yep. no idea what guys on the peripherals are doing with their head. And right. I bet you there's a lot of times, like, why in the world aren't they decoying? Because old Fred down there in the corner is doing this. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I bet you if one person was That's focused, right. your job is just to look down and see what everyone's head is doing and to scold. Yep, exactly. <laughs> scold people. Exactly. Um, That's, That's a great funny. idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, the other thing I know I was going to go to. Have you heard of the new regulations they're talking about in Manitoba that they've just dropped out? I have not. I don't think. I was wondering what you're thinking was on it. So they're basically, there's a lottery now in Manitoba. Okay. Where, um, you've got to apply for a license. And they're saying 100% of the people are going to get the license. It made me think about this because you said you spent time in Minnesota. And I wonder yeah. if yeah. you went up into Manitoba to do any hunting in there because i know a lot of people in minnesota hunt that area but mm-hmm. if you get picked from the lottery which 100 percent of the people are supposed to be picked you still only get seven days total for the whole season. oh really really yeah so that's huh. all you get is seven days and then they're limiting outfitters to they're cutting back they're sending out every outfitter in the state they're sending them uh saying this is how many hunting licenses you get this year and really saying we are never going to increase the number of licenses that we give out to outfitters. And my understanding is there's a lot of outfitters that are going to open their envelope and it's going to say zero. Yeah. And so yeah, so what, big, is it, is it less than what it currently might be? They are. The number of outfitters is going to be less than yes, significantly really? less than, but they're saying that outfitters are going to get the number of licenses that they sold pre COVID Okay. And it's never going to go up from that. Huh. What they're trying to do is that they feel like that um, people coming in out of out of country and outfitters are mm-hmm. leasing up so much land. Oh, really? That the locals don't have hunting opportunities and just your freelance guys that want to go up for trips. Sure. It's sure. becoming harder and harder to find places to hunt because everything's just getting leased up, leased up. So they hmm. want to see they're fighting land just being occupied at least yeah. is is their goal well I, I i don't doubt that because you know to a certain extent we've seen that in north dakota i mean you'll have guys come in and just lease lease property or pay off you know big big landowners um for for the hunting rights and again i guess you know that's fine we'll just find another place to hunt um but, you know, the, the rule in North Dakota or the law is if it's technically not posted, you can hunt it. 
which is um, crazy. <laughs> right. Right. Unless, unless I think there's cattle in there or something like that. So it's kind of, it's been like the wild, wild west, but now we have, you know, electronic posting. So in, and that's the beauty of Onyx is you can get on there and you can see all that stuff. Um, but more and more and more and more land out there is posted every single year that we go out there. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why there's more hunting pressure because people, it concentrates more people perhaps. Right. Um, but that's interesting to hear about Manitoba. Um, I want, is that, is that just a Manitoba thing or is that an all Canada yes, thing? Just Manitoba. Okay. Because I, we just also, we've often talked about going to Saskatchewan as uh-huh. well. So I didn't know if that would apply there too or not. Yeah. But. I've never been into Canada. So I, I don't know. I just know it's kind of been um, in the news a little bit. And I talked mm-hmm. to someone in the know that kind of gave me the rundown on it. And, and I like the idea of have this heavily um, regulating outfitters and guide services. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know here in Kansas, anyone can guide. You don't have to have a license. You don't have, you don't. To have insurance. Really? No. It's, wow. it's just Wild West out here as far as outfitters. Okay. So you have a lot of kids in their 20s trying to start it up and just, you know, run and get. I've got a buddy who had access to a pond and in central Kansas, and this one hunt, they were really pounding them, and the outfitters just sat there and were just watching the hunt from, you know, half mile, whatever, from the road, and then right. go in and try to scoop up the pond. Yep. And, cut them out access and yep. which I mean, you know, I mean, landowners can do whatever they want to do. I just sure. feel like sure. that outfitters should have to have a license. They mm-hmm. should have to have like safety training. They should have to have insurance. They should have to, when they go to a door and try to acquire land, they should have to tell that landowner that they're an outfitter. Right. They should have right. to report all of, they should have to list out all of the lands they have leased. I mean, just, we just need some regulations. Yeah, um, it sounds like it for sure, for sure. Yeah. Wow, which is not it. But anyway, back onto you, back onto your your hunting life. So in Illinois, h- how much do you waterfowl hunt during the year, and where are what are type of environments are you hunting, and what are your strategies? Like, well, here here in northern or? Illinois, in the county that we live in, there's a really good there's a really good county hunting program um, that you have to apply for. Um, and you can apply for a field or marsh or a field and marsh. And there's, there's a bunch of county property um, in our, within our county. And you, you make, you know, mid, middle of July, I think you apply and, uh, and everybody gets drawn. And so it's a good public hunting opportunity. Most of it that I do is field hunting. There's only a couple of marshes. Um, but it's really beneficial because, you know, scouting is key. So, you know, there's probably, I probably have access to probably 15 different agriculture fields that by the time season rolls around and opens up, they've been harvested. They're just all ready to go. And you can go wherever you want. You can drive out, you can put your blind up wherever you need to. Um, Some of the fields do have blinds that you can hunt in as well. Um, But it's a really decent opportunity. And so I find myself, to answer your question, um, I hunt every, every weekend in the fall and Mm -hmm. throughout goose season ends here the third week in january so from september 1st dove season all the way through i'm trying to get out every single weekend mm-hmm. um so for the core of duck season though i primarily field hunt in northern illinois on that public land um 
and it's again, it, it's first come for serve. So you, you got to be on your game. You can't be late. You got to be super early. I mean, I'm getting up at one thirty two in the morning to go secure the spot right. um, just so I can get it. And I scout it to um, my daughter and myself and her boyfriend uh, limited out on geese on opening day um, on this public land. And I, I scouted it five times in the two and a half weeks leading up to season. I knew right where they were. I knew where, where they were going to fly over and they just came right in. It was awesome. It was great. Right, right. But you know, you got to put in your time. You got to scout that yeah. out. Um, I do have, I do have a friend that I've met over the last couple of years. I've only lived in Northern Illinois for five years. Um, but I met an individual that has access to some private fields and that's been great too. Um, <clears throat> so he's got probably five or six private fields that we hunt on as well. Uh, and he does have one, he does have a, a pit as well. So that's cool to, to be able to have that option as well. <clears throat> so give me, I'm not fully understanding um, how you were talking about applying for a particular fields. Explain that. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a county run program. And it's a hunting program for the county. So you have to just basically do an application to say, I want to be part of this program and for put all your, county. all your information in. And then you, and then you submit your application. And a couple weeks later, they tell you that, you know, you're drawn and then you have to pay. I think the fee is, I think the fee is $40 you pay. And when you get drawn, that gives you, you can have everything within the county, everything within the county, you know, first come first serve. It's not a draw every day. It's, you know, once you're in, you're in. Just get there, get there first, you know, and, and hunt it. So, so it's pretty, it's pretty nice. You don't program. have a lot of, you probably don't have a lot of non-resident competition then. Correct. That system, right? Correct. Yeah. Virtually none. And right. Huh. That's really interesting. I didn't know that a county would be able to enact something like that. Yeah. So it, we're really fortunate to have it. And, you know, the thing about Northern Illinois too, is I, I think I've heard it on a couple of your podcasts too, with some of the guests you've had on. Um, you know, Southern Illinois used to be the place to be for massive amounts of geese and the migration and right. the staging areas down there. Well, that has changed and, and they're not making it that far South anymore because there's, you know, depending on the year, there's not as much snow. So mm -hmm. those geese come down, they make it to Northern Illinois and they just hang there. Yeah. And so they get pretty smart. And, and I think this year we saw a little bit of reverse migration too, especially in, you know, middle of January where those geese were yeah. coming down, they passed us. And then, boom, we had a huge warm-up, and here they were coming back north. So right. we kind of got the best of both worlds here this last year. It was great. It Do you get really that good. a lot, reverse migration stuff? Is that I, that's the first year that I've ever seen it, or at least figured that it was. It's so hard to, it's so hard to say that, oh, those are migrating geese, or, you know, right. those are migrators. It's, right. For me, it's so hard to, to say because, I, I don't know, I, I, it's just hard for me to tell. I mean – yeah. Sure. If you if you're sitting there and you see wave after wave, you know, of, of ducks or geese going through at mm -hmm. 20,000 feet. Yeah, they're migrating. But, yeah. you know, when you see them a little bit lower, you don't know what they're doing or where they're going. But right. we're assuming it was reverse migration because they came through. We had some great hunts. It flattened out. It warmed up. And then we got we got into them again. So right. it, whether whether there was more coming down or there was reverse migration. I don't know for sure, but a lot of people were talking about a reverse migration. So I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things I love about like Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. is those birds ride the ice line. Yeah. So from right. um, September, October, November, most of December, you're looking mm -hmm. for north winds. But then late December into January, you really want the south winds. Yeah. See, that's that interesting. Ice, you're watching that ice line. 
because they yeah, anytime sure. you get that ice line shifts, those birds just hang on the ice line. In fact, um, the most the most birds that, that you will that that you will ever see on a hunt is going to be in January. Um, really? Now they're going to be smarter birds and really hard sure. to kill. But yep. all of the days where I'm like the days that I saw the biggest concentration of mallards and even pintails coming back through is mm-hmm. all, is always in January. Wow! When you get when the when the ice comes off, when the ice comes off, you man, you got to be there. Right. With all the other. Not a lot of times there's a lot of people. It used to be even like five years ago, uh, January, maybe like 10 years ago, like January, you'd say, well, there's not enough as many people around hunting now because of the cold and they're tired. And now it's like, it's not that way anymore. Yeah. In January. Now, now there's still a lot of competition then, huh? Yeah. 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 There is. There is. And a lot of people in my state really, really complain about the hunting pressure, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like that pressure can be avoided with enough work. It's like yeah. you have in Kansas where it's all centered around reservoirs for the most part. There's a couple mm-hmm. of places that are natural marshes and that's all they are is marshes. Yeah. But most of our hunting is centered around reservoirs. And so you've got the main lake and then on the, on the side of the lake where the rivers are flowing into it, you've got marshes. Some of yeah. them they've made, some of them are naturally there when they created the dam and they just flooded sure. things. And um, and so at most of these places, you've got the marshes that are every, the sexy marshes that are in corn or smart wheat or mill mm-hmm. and everyone just mm-hmm. flocks to those. Those are the ones you can hop out of the truck and it's right there. But then if sure. you work a little bit harder, you know, and learn you the place back. a little bit better. Right. right. And you get back, you learn, you learn to avoid the pressure. So sometimes I feel like guys complain about pressure and they're just lazy. You know? So do you think, as far as Kansas is concerned, do you think that the migration has shifted west from, from, from the Mississippi no. flyway to, in towards, you know, across Missouri into Kansas more so? Well, I mean, you've been hunting there your whole life, right? So you right. should, you know, you'd be able to tell a difference, I would I think. I don't think so. Kansas is the central part of Kansas has always had mass migration because mm-hmm. you've got Cheyenne Bottoms, which is the biggest in the biggest marsh in the interior 48 states. It is okay. massive. And so what the central flyway migration will come through Nebraska and it'll funnel through the middle part of Kansas. And that hasn't changed because of there's like three, I won't name them all, but there's three um, shallow water marshes, actually four that have been there, always been there. In fact, one of them went away and they brought it back, but these are natural marshes and nothing's been affected. Those have always held birds. Sure. So, and you have, you have decent waterfall management too, right? For those properties, for a lot of those properties. Fantastic. That's pretty neat. That's really neat. They absolutely know what they're doing. And one of my first few North American waterfowl podcasts was with uh, Matt Farmer. Yep. Yep. I listened to that. That was fascinating. Right. And so he is, I think he's top tier of those guys. Yeah. But there's several other, I don't know them all. I know, I know three of them. um, And personally, and all three, I just think the world of, as far as the job that they're doing. I mean, like like Matt, I don't know if you remember, he did he talked a lot about insects and mm-hmm. diet. Yep. And that is like cutting edge stuff. 
And yeah, that is. that is. You go across America, I'm guessing when I say this, but I think if you were just to pull a hundred managers across the across the country, there I'm I'm just guessing, throwing out numbers here. Uh, there wouldn't be a significant number of them would have the understanding of insects, managing for insects. And it, right. it seems like to me the guys in Kansas, mm-hmm. especially the ones that aren't planting corn, yeah, there they absolutely have it figured out and they know what they're doing. They know yeah. how to attract ducks. They're hardcore mm-hmm. waterfowl hunters themselves. And they are top. I think they're just top notch. And I've had people yeah. like Jake from Chasing Green that comes into the state and is like, man, these guys know how to manage compared to Arkansas where they That's mismanage great. their timber. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I, I could go on and about the Kansas waterfowl. That's fantastic. Honestly. That's very good. And the sad, sad thing about it is, is if you go to the Kansas forums, they get a bad rap and everyone talks about how stupid and dumb they are. And I'm like, no, there's someone stupid here, but it's not our managers. So they they <laughs> well, take okay. a lot of abuse. That's okay. Let them say all that stuff, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how do you, do you track your numbers on your hunts? You know what? I, I don't. But I need to start, and I will start. You know, I know a place well. you can do that. I, I, you know what? I think I do too. <laughs> I think I do too. <clears throat> I've been waiting for the new for the new website to be up and running. Oh, it's it's ready. I just haven't pushed it out. I'm waiting. I mean, for you know a what? I did a uh, couple of. Things. I did. I did sign up, and we a few buddies of mine and I went uh, snow goose hunting with a guide in Central Illinois back in the last third weekend in February. <clears throat> And I did, I did put my information in there for the snow geese. But at that point, season was over. And right. uh, so when we crank up here next, next fall, I'll start doing it for sure. Now, are you a dog guy? Yeah, I have an eight-year-old lab. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Do you track, yep. you don't track retrieve, number of retrieves or anything like I do. that? I do. I track his retrieves every year. I think this last year, I think he had 40, 42 ducks. Yep. in like 24 geese or something like that. Right. I just track that on my phone manually. Because we're adding that feature. So oh, that'd be great. Be that'd to, be fantastic. You'll be able to name the dog. So you create dog, put the name, add a picture, and then mm-hmm. every hunt you'll be able to put in the number of retrieves and, and all that stuff. So it's an addictive good. thing doing that. Um, yeah, I can just imagine. Stuff. It really is. Well, I'm going to find I mean, out because I'm going to start doing that. So. Yeah, all the new. I don't know when the, all the new stuff's going to be pushed out. I'm just kind of. No one's really using it right now, so I'm kind of waiting until everything gets in place and then mm-hmm. and then kick it out. It's gonna. It really the new. It looks fantastic. And I'm talking well, about uh, freelancehuntstats.com, or you can find it in iOS or Google Play Store under Hunt Stats, and we are changing the name of it to North American Waterfowler. But I think I'm going to keep the regular old website. So like both. Both website addresses will go to the same place. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, good. Perfect. Well, yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Like maybe did you have any kind of special hunts that just were really that stick out in your mind this year? Or No, I, you know, I, I don't really think so. I mean, we had some very, very good hunts that were, <clears throat> that were something you won't forget, but it wasn't like the ultimate that you would think it would be, but right. you know, we had one certain field here in Northern Illinois that between Christmas and I think the last, the last day of season uh, from a, from a goose perspective, 
um, we shot over a hundred geese out of that field. So that was something I'll never forget. I mean, that was, that was an epic year for geese for us. It was awesome. Um, I don't know. You just think back over the years and, and, you know, you, you cherish those, those banger hunts, you know, you, you sure do. cause they don't happen all the time. And, you know, for us people that hunt weekends, you know, you, you, for me anyway, if I go out duck hunting and if I can shoot two or three ducks, awesome. Right. Happy. Right. Happy. If I shoot a limit, even better, you know, yeah. obviously. Having that so. sitting there on Saturday helps Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday <laughs> tremendously. Does yep. it not? That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> so what do you, what exactly do, you do? Right. What's your profession? I'm in the relocation business. Uh, so I'm a exactly. uh, household goods. I work for a household goods moving company. Oh, okay, cool. <clears throat> so I've been doing that my whole life. It's been my whole career. Um, uh, my dad was an executive for the company that we worked with. And uh, oh. so I, it was in my blood too. And so I've been doing that <clears throat> since I was 16 years old, moving people wow. across the country. How, how so, old are you now? Out of curiosity. I'm, I, I'm 48. Oh wow! I would have guessed. I'm 49. I would have yeah. guessed younger. I was. I was okay. guessing late 30s. <laughs> well, good. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you and I are right at the same yep. age. That's yep. Cool. For sure. Nice. Well, um, I think that's all I have. Um, hang right. on here when we get off because um, those of you that are here from Patreon, we are going to do the giveaway for next month. I'm really, really enjoying this just getting to know you guys having Kenny on last month was awesome. You've done a yeah. fantastic job. It's just finding out different people's hunt life. Yeah. Because it's, fun. it's like, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's fun it's to watch. I mean that the, the Kenny B one was fantastic. Right. You know, and I, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got to go on here and I, I have big shoes to fill here, but I don't know, <clears throat> no, but no, it's you, fun. And, and if you continue to do this, I, you know, I, I think it'll, it'll be very popular because you're right. Everybody likes to see that. Everybody likes to yeah. see a different perspective of, of what people do and how they hunt and you know what they like to do. And so, yeah, it's very good. Yep. Well, I appreciate you being on here for yeah, those thank of you, for you that are me. listening publicly. If you want to get in on these live streams where you can come and watch the live streams and comment on them and have a chance to be on the podcast, it's freelance. Duck hunting. It's Patreon. I'm sorry, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. So thank you again, Mark. And those of you listening, this has been another episode of the North American Waterfowl. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.